1: Was mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht.
2: Die Hello and welcome to the Gig Impressing Podcast. My name is Stefan Bikowski. This is the main show of the week. And as you may have already noticed, we're doing things a little differently this week. Manu is away on a well deserved holiday in Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken, based on the frequent text messages, images, videos that he can help us show. And show off the the sunshine. Um and as a result, I am here hosting the show. But I was also away at the weekend and I also missed all the footballs. So I've had to draft in the B team, um, which obviously far from it. Uh Matt Ford is obviously here. Uh Matt, how are you? Yeah, very good,
0: thanks. Um no money was in Hawaii, but I much preferred spending all Saturday uh on the on the trains between Gelsenkirchen and Cologne. I think that's Clearly, a much better way to spend your time.
2: Absolutely, uh, we've had to make an emergency loan after the deadline day to the Athletic for Seb stafford Blue. Always a pleasure, Seb. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm worried about Manu's pale Bavarian skin in Hawaii, but you know, that's that's sunburn, sunburn waiting to happen, isn't it? Really. Yeah,
2: I mean, based on the fact that that man seems to travel to all fifty American states every year uh, for one reason or another, I'm sure he's probably well well-experienced in how to deal with hotter climates. Um, but we do wish him well, hope he have got his feet up and enjoying a well-deserved break. And in the meantime, uh, we've got plenty to talk about, which I guess we'll get started with right after this break. It's playoff time, and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, Online is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the colour of Gatorade. Betonline is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online and join today to get into all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. Yeah, guys, so we're a little short for time. Uh we're recording this on Monday. We've all got day jobs uh which we're trying to keep. So uh there's a few th- there's a, quite a lot of big talking points that we want to get through, but Let's get started with the match between Dortmund um, and you know their nil-nil draw at the weekend against Heidenheim. Um, guys, I think it's probably fair to say we're expecting some sort of um, an upset, if you will. I actually predicted this to be a draw. I think I went 2-2, hopefully, uh, or optimistically. Um, fortunately, I missed this game. It felt like 90 minutes I won't be getting back. Uh, Matt, Seb, you guys both watched it. Um, I'll come to you first Matt actually there's two ways to maybe look at this game there's A this result's been a long time coming uh, you know we've talked a lot about how Dortmund have been winning games but far from um, you know conclusive in their performances or what a lot of people might do when they wake up on Monday morning look at the results and see how many players were injured for this match and uh, just to kind of give a brief rundown uh, it's more or less a start in 11, we're talking Adeyemi, Julian Brandt Duranville Sebastian Haller Gregor Kobel, Nemcha Marco Royce, Julian Rearson and Jaden Sancho all out of this match where do we where do you fall on that kind of scale of giving them uh, <laughs> credit for getting a point to begin with or was it a sorely two points dropped
0: um, you're right it was coming um, I was at the first two games against Darmstadt and, uh, and Cologne and and then, despite the results, actually very similar performances to what we saw in in Heidenheim, um, Bochum, similar. Difference being that in Heidenheim, uh, Dortmund didn't produce those individual moments which have got them out of jail so uh, so so often. whether that be, Jamie Bynoe-Gittens producing moments of pace to break defences down the right. Whether it's Nicholas uh, Nicholas stepping up with penalties. Like, yeah, for hat-tricks largely from the penalty spot, with, with all due respect, um, yeah, there were a lot of players missing. Um, you've just been through them. On the other hand, a lot of those absentees weren't missing in the previous performances when it wasn't actually that much different. Um, so, yeah, this this was very much a, a continuation. On on the other hand, if you look at the bigger picture, maybe 10 points from the first four games, and... Um, Ten goals to one, maybe you know, maybe, maybe you can look at a glass glass half full in in, in that sense. But the performance really wasn't good, and we, we said this for the previous games as well. They were not good performances, and this time they can't even cover it up with a with a win. And um, I think Eddie Terzic knows it. Um, he looked he looked as angry as I've I think ever seen him. Um, in some in, in his in his post match interviews and. Uh, uh, and his press conference in which, he rep- in which he repeated the point that he's been dealing with unsatisfied players for the past weeks and months who have been demanding to play and, yeah, by all accounts, complaining that they're not getting minutes. Um, well, they got, the, they got their minutes in Heidenheim, as it said, and uh, it was far too little.
2: Mm. It it feels like there's a frustration at Dortmund, uh, It's certainly something I've noticed... Um... You know, I actually do frequent the Reddit form for the Dortmund page and they do like a match thread and that's where the fans obviously jump in after games. And from the last, more or less since the turn of the year, really, um, there's been frustration and it felt like this result was finally a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Lightning rod for a lot of the kind of frustration that's been building up over the last month or so. And a lot of Dortmund fans saying, you know, this is proof of the theory or the concerns that we've had that, this team aren't really going anywhere. They're kind of almost like treading water and, um, you know, this is just proof of it. I mean, is that a bit harsh or, or, or do you think um, the, 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 that kind of criticism is warranted?
1: No, I don't think it's harsh. And I think also it feels like this game was always going to produce this response because I, I, I just think Frank Schmidt is a better coach than it like fundamentally and Matt touched on it before about Dortmund's reliance on individual moments. I don't think that's ever going to be enough away to Heidenheim, um, especially given the kind of the individual players that Terzic was able to put out. I also think if you're a Dortmund fan, like, first of all, you, you might concede that it could have been worse. Klein Deeds had two, the two best chances of the game. Definitely should have scored the first one after that sloppy pass from Sally Erschen. Um, Had he not kind of Inexplicably fallen over uh, in injury time at the end of the second half, he would have scored the winner. But like when you see that sloppiness, it always seems to be indicative of something which is not quite right in a team. Um, I don't think that's fair. It's like a, it's a kind of a point that you, media people like me make, um, people who've never been inside a dressing room or you know professional football pitch. Um, but I think it's a lot of it's fair because I, I think also like if you were if you're a Dortmund fan in, and you were held at Heidenheim, I think you'd say, okay, well, they haven't lost there since October um, and they've beaten better sides than Dortmund this season. At the same time, what was there in that performance that you could cling to and say, hey, well, yeah, you didn't get the result, but there's something promising in there. Where, where, where was the, there was nothing in it that told us anything that we didn't already know. Like, I didn't think Makoku and Fulcrook worked as that sort of like semi-two at the top of the pitch. Didn't work at all really. Um, I'm not a Donny Marlon fan. I don't think he's a particularly good player. He's a he's a seven out of ten player. Didn't think he influenced the game. As Chan, As Chan, to me still looks damaged from uh that performance against Bayern um back in the autumn when he just looked he just got obliterated in midfield. Um and they they look they look fragile at the back and part of that is Kobel being missing, but there's not there's not much cause for optimism so i don't really have a problem with 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 the Dortmund fans response and also i like, given the kind of fluctuations at the top of the club um got obviously on his way out and the kind of the uncertainty that that breeds dissatisfaction with transfer activity like there's not a lot at Dortmund at the moment which isn't fluid on a week-to-week basis is there so what are you what are you buying into that's really a question rather than accusation i, I i'm not a Dortmund fan so I, i'm not i have no vested interest but what is it that you're supposed to believe in at Dortmund at the moment? Like apart from maybe the promise of someone like Jamie Bynoe-Gittins, perhaps, or you know, like a micro issue like that. I, I don't know what. I, I don't know where the optimism is supposed to come from.
2: Yeah, that's such a really interesting point because it is that kind of malaise, isn't it, from one week to the next, and the lack of any kind of. You can understand if there's a young head coach he's trying to build towards something, but it it just continually feels like Terzic is just kind of he's got his magic eight ball or Kubel, whatever it's called, and he's just picking his lineups based on that almost. There's no kind of coherent strategy behind it. I continue to come back to this almost over-reliance on Julian Brandt. Um, and like I said, I didn't watch the game, but I did check some stats before um, we came on to do the show. And, you know, if you look at all the players who have created key passes in the Bundesliga this season, which is a pass that leads to Shaw, he's the only Dortmund player in the top 50, whereas, you know, Leverkusen have three in the top 10, Bayern Munich have countless. RB Leipzig have Stuttgart. Well, yep, Stuttgart. Leipzig have four. I think in the top twenty. The next player for Dortmund is Nicholas Fulkrug at forty-eight. Um, you know, which probably says everything you maybe need to know. Um, you can then kind of look at passes into the final box, and again, it's there's only three players in the top Dortmund uh, for Dortmund team there, and it, it it feels and it it feels like even that system where he's almost playing a 4-3-3, or in this case a 4-4-2, it feels like such a kind of very basic and simplistic tactic of formation. And, you know, we're going to put out four defenders, we'll put out three strikers, and let's just hope something magical happens in between that to make it all gel together.
1: Did you you think, Stefan, that, like... So when I watched this game, I I saw a little bit of intent from Tezic because I would say that, like, maybe this is probably closer to a kind of... um like a Leipzig style four-two-two-two, 2 and that was probably a recognition of the fact that if you play with like a single centre forward and two wide forwards you're kind of playing into Heidenheim's hands because they're so good at, you know, against the cross and they're so good at blocking up the centre of the pitch that you're trying to compensate for Brandt's absence by loading the middle of the pitch but you can't do that if you haven't got number 10s in your side like there's no one there's no one there who can pass the ball so it's like this kind of it doubles down on whatever frustration you feel with Terzic. is kind of, well, he also doesn't really have the tools when okay, the injury list is long, but even when everyone's fit, there are still there, there is still that reliance on Brandt because he's really the only player who does what he does in this squad. I think a rely
0: on reliance on Brandt, but also on substitutions, which yeah. we've talked on it, it before is. in recent weeks, that one thing that Edin Terzic does often get uh, get right, and that's to his credit, is that he I think he does change the game. Uh, frequently with with the substitutions and with impact players off the bench, Makoku, Baino Gittens, often they don't necessarily have the same effect when they're starters. But in 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 Heidenheim, his um, substitutions, I thought for for ones, I had the opposite effect. Even they didn't work. I'm thinking particularly particularly bringing off Bino Gittens, I thought was a, a strange one. Um, I mean, he he wasn't he was hardly um, pulling up trees, but. Um, he probably was Dortmund's most dangerous player, and to bring him off in the second half of that was a strange one. Uh, Badogitza himself, he looked frustrated come, coming off, and I think, understandably, um, Benzabaini being brought on was almost single-handedly culpable for that for conceding a goal in the ninety-second, in the ninety-third minute. That that cross that came across to the back post, where um, Benzabaini has left, uh, I think it's Shimmer completely unmarked at the back post, um, so it could have backfired pretty spectacularly. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think the the point regarding Dortmund being forced to go down the middle, yeah, clearly worked from a Heidenheim perspective. Um, Dortmund were incredibly narrow. There. I mean, Phil, Phil Krug, Marlin, Mokoku constantly chipping, chipping over each other's feet um, in that really, in those really central areas. I Thought there was also a strange irony to Dortmund's best move of the match, which led to Marlin's disallowed goal um and it was a good move it's probably the only time they moved it quickly and clinically and cleanly through midfield um but even that came as a result of thomas Murnier almost giving the ball away <laughs> at right back and prompting what what heidenheim would probably claim was a foul on um on Klein, these I'm not sure. Maybe he gets there just he gets there just ahead. But the, the only reason that tackle takes place is because his touch is terrible, and he's almost given the ball away in a dangerous position. And it's only arguably because of that that Dortmund are able to break so cleanly and with so much space. So, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, without a doubt, Dortmund's worst, worst worst performance of the season. And as for where they go, um, you've touched on the bigger picture. I do suspect that it's a bit of a the season is already a little bit of a write off given given the changes which are taking place. Um, in the bigger in in the in the bigger structures of the club, um, it's difficult to see where it goes. Um, who, who replaces Vatska? What role that leaves Sebastian kale playing? Does he does he move into a, um, a, a role with a similar seniority to Vatska? What happens with Matthias Sammer as Vatska's pers- uh, personal advisor? Um, there's so many ups and downs, and whatever structure comes in, are they going to stick with Edin Terzi? Is he is he going to suit whatever? strategy ends up being in place the whole thing seems a little bit up in the air which leads to the rest of this season being a little bit of a riot off i suspect
2: mm, yeah i mean that's probably a good way to maybe put a cap on this because i wanted to kind of say seb that you look at those next kind of run of fixtures that Dortmund have in the coming weeks they got freiburg at home wilsburg away and then they got psv in the champions league then even after that hoffenheim union and bremen they're all more or less, I mean, perhaps maybe PSV in the Champions League has six fixtures there that you could see Dortmund continuing to kind of sleepwalk through before, you know, they play the big hitters in March, you know, Frankfurt, Bayern, Stuttgart, Leverkusen, Leipzig, really, in the space of, you know, six or seven weeks. And and it's and it's and it and it does maybe perhaps just suggest that this kind of concern over the malaise or not a lot happening might continue on for a little longer.
1: Yeah, I also I worry about Dortmund in that PSV game just because that is a dangerous, dangerous team to be playing at the moment. Unbeaten in domestic football all season, uh, cantering really to the Eredivisie title, and from an attacking standpoint, like just pretty potent. Um, and some of the, the football, some of the defensive football we've seen from Dortmund recently, I, I know that their Champions League form has been above what they've done in the Bundesliga. But at the same time, like they look vulnerable. Um, and yeah, like I. I <laughs> I don't feel confident predicting what Fulkesberg are going to be like week to week at the moment. I don't think, I don't think even Nikita Kovac knows. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 troubling. Um, Stefan, if I may, just just one word on on Heidenheim. Um, yeah. One of my players of season actually has, has been jan Nicholas Beste, who I've loved watching. I really enjoyed watching in the League Bundesliga last season too. He's just a wonderful footballer, um, and I know I'm a, almost certainly going to stay up this season, which is great credit to. To Frank Schmidt but um yeah he's got the irony of, of course being as a former Dortmund player I think he was spent some time in the Dortmund academy but just um for anyone who hasn't seen him play like he's uh he's just a delight and I, I thought he was like uh, probably the best player on the pitch again on Friday night he, um, he gave Thomas Meunier the run around all evening yeah so, yeah I and mean, really like he's done that to better players than Meunier as well like this season and and uh, I just I, I'm impressed every time I watch him um I knew very little about his backstory until last year and and um, I, I, I'm a sucker for that story of player gets discarded when he's quite young and then works his way back up the, the divisions. And now he looks like he's worth, you know, 20, 25 million euros. He's a super player. Absolutely.
2: no, It's a, it's a nice positive uh, note to end that game on. Actually. I felt like I
1: need to redress the balance. You know, it's Monday. <laughs> we, we can't be that negative this early in the week. <laughs> no, absolutely.
2: Uh, well, let's talk let's talk about another, um, you know, fascinating, joyous occasion. And that was Cologne's 2-0 win over Heinrich Frankfurt. Uh, Matt, you were at the game. As we were saying before, uh, recording, aside from the Dortmund match, is probably the one genuine kind of upset of the fixtures this weekend. Um, it's Clone's first win since the 1st of December, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, we have talked about Clone a wee bit uh, in recent weeks and how things have just kind of looked a little concerning, a lack of real maybe progress. And then all of a sudden, Frankfurt come to town and. Suddenly there's fireworks. What happens here? It's playoff time, and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. and our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the color of Gatorade. Bet online is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to bet online and join today to get into all the action. Bet online: The game starts here.
0: Yeah, I think Cologne probably played Frankfurt at just about right time. Um come on to them in a sec, but they are having a little bit of a little bit of a dip in form. Um, perhaps to a large degree not held by AFCON absentees, but we'll come on to them. Um Cologne's performances haven't been haven't been that bad. Um, I think I thought in the first half against Dortmund, before it, before they completely fell apart. In the first half they were actually okay. Um, they actually matched Matched Dortmund quite well. Um, the performance away at Wolfsburg, one-one draw, was also. You know they they certainly weren't the second best team away away at Wolfsburg. Um, the problem all season has been scoring goals. Um, partly that's been due to injuries. Uh, partly the likes of yeah, um, um, minor Tickers simply not simply not being of the required quality. I think Dejan Lubacic has been one of the most profligate. Uh, forwards in, in 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 the league, and he actually continued that um, against Frankfurt. Um, but yeah, step up Jan Thielmann, um and step up Farid uh, Ali um ironically on on loan from Frankfurt. And um, I think again after a similarly good first half, where they absolutely matched Frankfurt. I think there was I mean, certainly through through midfield. I think obviously, um, um, Fabian, uh, Florian Kainz in in the middle is is by by far and way Cologne's best player. Um, although to just to his left, uh, Finkgräfer, the the young lad, nineteen, uh, having an, an increasingly good season as well. Um, yeah, they, they 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 more than held their own against Frankfurt, and maybe needs a little bit of help from Niels and Kunku getting himself pretty needlessly sent off. But when the goals then came, um, albeit with Frankfurt out of ten men, they absolutely weren't uh, undeserved. And um, I think, yeah, without getting overly carried away, uh. Just deserves for, uh, some perhaps very steady and initial progress being made under uh, under Timo Schultz. Brilliant.
2: Seb, just to kind of flip this on to Frankfurt for a moment. Um, this was a game that saw one January signing starting, uh, two January signings come off the bench. One in Ikitiki who had joined days before the game, um. And if I'm not mistaken, I read this morning that a fourth in Donny van de Beek hasn't even been registered for the club's uh, European games this season. Um, are we maybe... Is, it, is it, Do we need to maybe give Frankfurt a bit of time here? Because obviously Todd Moller is dealing with an absolute avalanche of new players this season. Um, and, you know, as, as, as Matt said, maybe this is the perfect time to play Frankfurt because... You know, they're, they're literally still reeling from such a busy transfer
1: window. Yeah, I think so. But I, I think you see this pattern repeated all across Europe. Like, it's not just the players they've added in January. It's what they lost back in the summer. I mean, they, they had their entire attacking structure ripped, ripped out. Kamada went. Um, uh, Kalamawani obviously went very, very late in the window. Um, and you kind of, like at different times, depending on what, you can watch Frankfurt and be incredibly impressed by what Tottenham has achieved in a short space of time and then within days there's something really dispiriting and I felt like cookie sending off, sending off was it, it's kind of indicative of that in a way because just it's just was it, kind of mindless like he had two goes at, at, at trying to get his yellow card off Al-A-D. like I think at one point he tried to grab his ankle and then tried to grab his shirt was just absolutely determined to get himself sent off I mean not literally but um and that's kind of it's very difficult to analyze a performance when that kind of thing happens um so i don't i don't think it's it, it's also i don't i don't think it's really time to decide what what their trajectory is going to be under top Miller. and also ultimately okay um van der my stay um Eketique is not going to be giving up his paris Saint Germain wages whatever they are to play for eintracht i wouldn't have thought um and I don't know what the kind of the detail is within Sasa loan contract, whether there's a, a permanent option there or not. But um, this feels like the season after the year before. Does that make sense? Just because like I, I don't, there, there are too many kind of placeholding players. Like is van der Beek going to give up his, his Man United wages, which I imagine are pretty substantial. Like um, okay, I, I don't know so it's, it's kind of what we said about Dortmund, I, I feel much happier about Eintracht than I do about Borussia Dortmund but um, I still don't know which parts of the squad I'm allowed to invest in as a fan emotionally because who's going to actually be there next year um, so I don't know and I, I, I haven't watched enough of this game really beyond kind of five minute highlights to know um, to know what to take away from it other than obviously the, the two red cards by the way, Aladou his career is an oddity because I remember he, he was born in Hamburg and obviously grew up at Harzvall. Played maybe a couple of hundred minutes for Harzvall in the wider Bundesliga before um, his contract ran down and he he decided to to go on a free transfer to Eintracht. It's one of the craziest career moves I've ever seen. Like not that he had to necessarily stay in Hamburg, but that you kind of you walk away from a situation where you're getting starting minutes as a player and then you give that up because you get the kind of the move to the bundesliga and then he's barely been seen over the past couple of years and he doesn't look like he's he's progressed as a player at all it's um i don't know i just always, it always struck me as someone who's been kind of badly advised because i think there's a really good player there there's a lot of talent to him and um when he first broke through like he, he looks like um such an interesting kind of attacking component but um i haven't really noticed him since he he, he popped up and scored a- a Champions League goal against Tottenham a couple of years ago just out of nowhere (laughs) then disappeared again
0: I think Seb I think Seb's right to point out just how um, how difficult it is to judge Frankfurt and I think that's maybe a result of Frankfurt themselves being a victim of their own success in recent years I'm not really sure where Frankfurt themselves I'm not sure if they've decided where exactly to to place their expectations and their aims, and they've had you know, they've had four or five absolutely phenomenal years. I mean, this really should not be underestimated. What a ridiculous achievement that Europa League uh, win was, um, which is why I think that particularly there's an article that I read in in, in this morning's so Monday morning's kicker today, kicker magazine, uh, which I think is a bit overly critical of Frankfurt, basically saying there's a the the, the game against the the, result, the defeat in Cologne was a shot across the bows, um, for for Dino Topmiller. Um, given the perform- p- poor performance, and, and it was a really poor performance, and that's fine. Uh, the performance against Mainz last week was also really poor. I'll, I, um, albeit they managed to save themselves with um a fairly unorthodox Mario Götze header. Um, Donny Van Der Beek in that game, by the way, um, it, even worse than I ever even saw him in Manchester. To be honest, um, one particular moment will never. That's saying something, isn't it? <laughs> One particular moment and stays in my mind. I think he, he receives the ball in the center circle and then he has loads of space. But rather than turning and you know, moving to move forward and open up play, he simply takes a touch, plays the ball slowly back into defense. The entire crowd moans, that he gets dragged off at half time. Um, speaking to someone at, at close, to, close to Frankfurt who was already saying that Van der Beek has an awful lot to do to even consider being able to stay in Frankfurt beyond the end of the season. Um Having said all that, there are still, despite the Afcon absentees, um, and again, don't want to estimate what what massive absentees Mamouche, Chaibi, uh, Elias Skiri have been. I mean, you know, Chaibi and Skiri were, were back uh, against club. Uh, Mamouche is still away. I think he picked up some sort of illness whilst on the Afcon duty. Um, yeah, you know, th- th- these are the players which we were who we were. Praising to uh, to the rafters just before Chris, uh, Christmas when you know Frankfurt was sticking five past Bayern Munich, they beat Borussia back at home as well. They were by far the better team in that three three draw at home to uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, they won away at uh, um at RB Leipzig on the on the, uh, the the first game back after the winter break. Um, there are still an awful lot of positives um around around Frankfurt given the previous results, even a 2-2 draw away at Darmstadt, albeit in the derby, albeit it being a, a last-minute equaliser, given the previous results, you'd probably take, you would probably have ticked off a, a point away at your local rivals. Um, I think there are I think there are still positives to be seen. I think the you know, the criticism in Kicker this morning is a little bit premature, a little bit harsh. Fixtures coming up are quite favourable. Bochum, Freiburg, Wolfsburg, Heidenheim, Hoffenheim. Um yeah, AFCON, AFCON absentee is coming back. Um, I, I, I I still have question mark over the role that Asha Kalajic will play. Um, surely based on the fact that I, I, I think he's coming into a very different team to the team he played in at Stuttgart. Uh, Stuttgart is very much a target man, particularly for crosses from the lives of uh, Bernardo Souza, down on the left-hand side. Frankfurt play a completely different way, much more vertical, much more on the ground, pace on the counter-attack with the lives of Mamush. Um, not necessarily sure how clashes will fit into that that'll be a puzzle for Miller to, um, to to solve um, but yeah despite a couple of bad performances and Cologne was particularly bad um, I wouldn't be um, overly down in the dumps about Frankfurt just yet
2: if, Matt before we move on to our last topic uh, I do want to just touch on the fact that you're also the Schalke game uh, on Saturday a very important win over eintracht Um you know like I said we are short for time this week but, you know, that was a huge result for Schalke. I was reading over the weekend about how if they got relegated uh, this season, then, you know, there's some serious concerns over the club's liquidity. Um, um, you know, just briefly, I guess, because like I said, we're running out of time. But what was it like during yeah, you know, that I, game and how important was it?
0: Yeah, I, I like to check up on Schalke from time to time. Uh, obviously, and I think most of our focus um, is, is generally on, on the Bundesliga, and perhaps rightly so, but there are obviously some huge names in, in the second division as well. And Schalke is threatening again to become a massive story. So I wanted to, you know, speak to a few people and see things for myself. Uh, I'd also obviously heard the boomers and read the reports about potential issues with another relegation to the third division, which which could potentially lead to an automatic relegation down to division four. These are just you know, due to Schalke not having the liquidity and the uh, the uh, capital to afford the license. These are all very much speculative suggestions at the moment, so I wouldn't too much hint and there's an awful long way to go or, um, but yeah there, there, there is potential danger there for, for for Schalke there is a long way to go in the second division season though and uh, this season like previous seasons in division 2 is so, uh, the t- the table is so tightly packed uh, 2, 3 or 4 consecutive wins or defeats can send you flying up the table or down the table in a heartbeat I think despite Schalke's issues they're only actually 7 points off the top half or six 6 or 7 points off the top half so a lot, a lot can change. Uh, indeed, a lot changed. A lot changed on so Saturday. They got a vital win over Eintracht Braunschweig, uh, well deserved as well. Uh, after a pretty poor first half, they were much the better team in the second half. Uh, the goal was extremely neat, very well worked from um, a particularly impressive player at left back, uh, Debbie Demi Merkin, uh, Anglo Dutch. Not a player I actually had on my radar, um, but very impressive. Hard work up and down, offers a lot offensively as well as defensively played a great ball into K9 Karaman for Schalke's winner. So there is hope there, I think, for Schalke. There are probably worse teams in that division um, but yeah, there, there, is, there are clouds hanging over them as well, which I think we'll go into in more depth uh, at, a, at a later date.
2: Yeah, yeah, we certainly will. We'll do a deep dive into Schalke uh, in the coming weeks, that's for sure. Uh, Seb, we're actually going to stay in this fight Bundesliga because uh, another result on paper, which would have probably gained plenty of headlines on its own. Hertha Berlin's one-two-one defeat rather to Hamburg in Berlin. Uh, but as they say, uh, headlines for all the wrong reasons, I guess. On this game, uh, there's a 32-minute delay uh, due to protests from uh, the fan groups both clubs, if I'm not mistaken, uh, over the over the DFL investor plan. We've talked about this touched on it at points uh, over the weeks we've actually done a few deep dives after uh the the, the last uh, vote uh at least matt and manu did really good uh, listen for anyone who wants to subscribe and find that in the feed um yeah let's just dive into this because it's quite an interesting topic we've got maybe five minutes left um i'll let you jump in seb and, and, and say your piece
1: yeah well it was interesting because obviously we've seen this a lot of times before and you guys have covered it on the podcast this was different because instead of just a you know one shower of tennis balls there was initial shower stewards cleaned them up players helped out and then every time the game threatened to restart you'd see five or six coming out of the curve and you know because obviously at the Olympia Stadium you need you need a pretty good arm to throw a tennis ball from the stance to the pitch they were using those um you know the the sticks that dog walkers use to to throw balls in the park um they were using those to hurl them and um I was watching on television i wasn't at the game but um it struck me it was interesting how negative sky deutschland were in their commentary of it uh they were talking about how well yes you've made your point and it was fine when it was two or three minutes but then this is ruining the game and i kind of disagree like i i haven't been here long enough in germany to have a definitive position like uh, i have a soft spot for the hamburg clubs but i'm not a fan of either I'm not a, when I go to games, I go as a member of the media. So I don't pay for my ticket and I'm not a member of any of the clubs. So it's not really my place to take a position, but I've come from a league where in England, where it's a capitalist paradise, everything goes, there are no rules. Everybody's allowed to own a football club. The fan is a customer and you know, the fan has no recourse when things don't go their way. And you know, they're just told to right. we'll leave your seat and we'll put somebody else in it. And so purely from that perspective, as a contrast, like I, i respectfully disagree with commentary on sky because fans having an agenda is a really really uh, having having agency uh, i'm I'm sorry is really important because um forgetting what they're protesting on like a fan having a voice um just because mildly inconveniencing to television that's in itself is not a problem actually um and yeah there's also that there are other issues there too like you know obviously there was um out of Berlin fans are still overcoming the death of Kay Bernstein. There was a really nice of vowel banner in the guest block, um, kind of recognizing um his passing, which was a really nice touch. Um fans are important and I'm not stating a position on this issue, but like if you're if you're broadcasting German football, I hate to say it, but like one of the big tools behind your broadcasting contract are the supporters, right? Because That is a huge selling point around German football. Yes, I know, um, you know, very healthy goals for columns and, you know, loads of goals in each game, great. But then one of the statistics which is always thrown around is the attendance, which is the highest in Europe, right? And, okay, this is a a wider Bundesliga game, but the point stands. Like, if you're going to, if you're going to criticize the way the fans behave, it's a little bit of an hypocrisy. Um, If you're trading off the atmosphere that they themselves create, um, and they deserve to be heard. And so I, 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 I'm I'm pleased to hear them. And my my wife is watching with me. And my um my wife's a bit more ultra-minded. She's uh, she's some Pauli fan, and like she's pretty annoyed about the kind of the things that are being said on television. And I get it. Like um you know her German's a lot better than mine, so um she she could probably understand the nuance. But um I don't like it. I don't like broadcasters like taking umbrage with um direct action like that. It, it's not. It doesn't because I've seen the end of the road, Stefan. I've seen where it leads. The Premier League is a is a grotesque cartoon of a football division. Um and I think we can all agree about that. Um and okay, you can say, well, uh, you know, the DFL investment deal is um it represents just eight percent. But then the point is that where does that lead to in the future? And I'm not expressing opinion, but the legitimate legitimacy of the concern is is fair. Um if you have the Premier League as, a, as this big example of what bad football can be eventually. Yeah.
2: Matt, there was an interesting, just to kind of pick up on uh, what Seb said about Sky Sports' coverage, there was an interesting opinion piece in Kicker on Monday morning. Um, scathing, I would say, of the protest, you know, they made a quip about how, uh, you know, 32 minutes, uh, the delay, there's been longer grand slams in that time period, probably more tennis balls used uh, on the pitch. In, in in Berlin than there would be in that game. Um, you know, arguing the, you know, a th- couple of thousand ultras ruined a perfectly good atmosphere for fifty eight thousand fans. Uh and then they made a point of saying that, you know, the Hertha fans didn't seem too bothered about criticising the seven 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 partner group, uh, which obviously owns a controlling stake in Hertha. Um but so, you know, trying to accuse them of basic hypocrisy. But, you know, taking AntiC out and Sky Germany coverage into account I was wondering if you could maybe shine a light on maybe what the kind of general um, consensus or the general opinion is of football fans in Germany towards what is a very effective way of disrupting football games this season.
0: I think the, and it's not the first chance it's happened and it's nothing, it's not a new phenomenon. But unfortunately, a lot of the sort of the major, the major broadcasters and media outlets covering German football, and I include Sky as a principal rights holder. Um, admittedly, DAZN is a little bit better, I would say. Um, they've been a little bit, you know, I think they have been slightly, slightly fairer towards the towards the fans, uh, but also kicker, and I I value kicker as an institution in German football media massively um, a a genuinely brilliant institution with a huge history and hugely professional, very insightful and a a, a valuable, valuable tool. However, when it comes to fan culture, supportive issues, um, they often prove themselves to be massively detached. And this opinion piece that you are referring to, um, is a perfect example, um, for the author of that piece to descend into the what to as to why aren't are criticising their own investors, I think is ridiculous because it's also um, factually untrue. I mean, there's a reason why Helter of all fan groups have taken this extra step with this protest over the weekend. It's because of their It's precisely because of their negative their negative experiences with investors. So it was a yeah a, a pretty ridiculous and I think actually quite pathetic uh, attempt to resort to to what to in in that case. Um, yeah, there's a um a massive discrepancy and a detachment between some of those who are paid to uh, attend these football matches and yeah, I, I include myself in that and yet uh, never never leave the press box um there was an interesting exchange which took place on a sunday morning uh, breakfast talk show on uh, on one of the tv channels it's very it's very famous it's very old it's called doppelpass um, it's also probably one of the most conservative German football institutions uh, they all sit there in the, I think at the airport in Munich drinking, uh, drinking Weissbier and, uh, yeah, basically to discussing the weekend's action. it's very much, um, 50, yeah, age range, 50 plus editors of, uh, quite conservative media outlets, uh, I would say, um, and, and, various ex-players who are by the very nature, not going to rock the boat. And there was an exchange between Stefan Effenberg, so the former Germany and, and Bayern captain, who sat there in his role as an expert, and um, Philipp Koster, who is the editor of Freunde, so a German fan culture magazine, being been going for decades, um, where Effenberg basically revealed his own ignorance of the topic, saying, uh, "I don't see why the fans are scared about Monday night football or extra kickoff times." Because we already have Champions League games and Europa League games in midweek, and they all seem fine with that. Um, and to which, yeah, Costas' response was, "Well, that's very easy for you to say, sat in a, a in a red armchair on a, a, on a Sunday morning TV show, but perhaps try telling that to fans of SC Freiburg, who perhaps." during the week have had to go away to Olympiakos in the Europa League and then on a Sunday have to travel all the way up to Kiel or Rostock or Bremen on a Sunday try telling them that the uh, the kickoff times are actually okay so it and, and th- th- these are opinions being voiced by likes of Effenberg on absolutely major prime time mainstream uh TV chat shows and it, it just goes to show the the huge huge detachment between yeah, between some of some of the major media in German football and, and and the supporters the supporters issue has been made quite clear um there are if if fans TV uh TV viewers uh broadcasters commentators uh players club uh, club executives anyone if you want to know what the reasons what the reasons are for the fans protest that they're not hard to find um the Hertha Ultras literally shouted their reasons through a megaphone at the end of the game to their own team at, at full time. They said, you know, their issue is that this vote for the LRF's deal was in their eyes illegitimate because it was held in secret to enable what they think is circumvention the 50 plus one because it enabled Martin Kind principally, allegedly, to uh, ignore the directive given to him by his club, therefore in circumventing the 50 plus one. Of course was league regulations if it's been circumvented then the vote is, l- is illegitimate they've also and they went on they went on their own this weekend raised serious concerns about the backgrounds of the private equity investors uh, in, involved CBC and Blackstone are the two uh the two front runners after I think eqt dropped out um, both CBC and Blackstone count the Saudi Arabian private investment fund i.e the owners of Newcastle United um among their biggest backers um herta Hertha's Ultras made this point, so did Bayern's Ultras on several banners um, against Gladbach and uh, so did uh, Wolfgang Stuttgart's Ultras as well. Um, there's also a massive distrust of the bosses at the and the executives at, at the DFL not just because they've redone their vote in secret but because of the completely different tone of rhetoric um, compared to the pandemic when they were all talking about humility we have to take a step back, we mustn't get too carried away, we've shown how which we are, COVID is showing how reliant we are on, on the financial, the financial wheel being turned ever quicker and ever further. That humility seems to have disappeared in, 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 in smoke. Um, and yeah, they've, they've said that what they said in, in, you know, the head in her to the head, which at the end, they said, what you have just seen in those 32 minutes is a protest by a free and vibrant, um, terrace and fan culture. That's what you've seen. It was 32 minutes, and they said there's no end in sight. I wouldn't underestimate how far this could go. The, the German organized supporters have already shown that they can, um, they can cause new security concepts to be scrapped. They've caused Monday night football to be scrapped. They caused the initial votes for the investor deal to go against the DFL. Don't underestimate how how far this can go, and how far the, the supporters, and it's and it's not just a minority of ultras. This is also a point that was made. This, and they often get accused. In uh, they often get accused of it. It's just a couple of hundred extremist, radical ultras. You know, they might be the tip of the iceberg. They might be the tip at the end of the spear driving this. Yeah, that's fair enough. They might be the or, the organising power behind these protests. But um, no, they, they 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 do enjoy sympathy.
2: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that was quite an extensive uh, breakdown Matt, of the situation, which I'd expect nothing less. Um, We do have to kind of wrap it up here, but as I have said, and I can't stress this enough, Matt and Manu did a really, really, really good um, podcast after that break, uh, after the recent uh, vote, and as ever, Matt's newsletter every Wednesday goes into deep, deep detail into the fan culture of German football, how the fans are protesting and getting their voice across every weekend, and... Matt, I don't want to put any words in your mouth but I'm sure that might come up in one version or another on Wednesday's newsletter or if you've already got it in mind maybe you can give a quick teaser perhaps of what you've got in store.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll go into I'll go into more depth, uh, more depth on, on it this week, absolutely. Also, um, uh, Verde Bremen celebrating 125 years of of their of their club, but also as as me and Manu discussing the podcast which I think will come out this week or next week. Uh, also yeah. dealing with their own investor issue at, at so these these topics are all interlinked and they're they're not going away.
2: Yeah, and you know, as Seb said, these are exactly the kind of things that you, football fans love about German football. It's what makes them stick around, especially the international audience who are looking think for something. quickly,
0: team. as Seb was saying, he's right to point out that there is a direct contrast to the Premier League. If you ask any of these fans in Germany, yeah. they they're not fans of the Premier League. They know what it is. They, a, lot, a lot of them have been there. They go to Old Trafford, they go to the Emirates, they go to Anfield, and they're shocked the tickets cost £50, £60, that you can't stand up, that the atmosphere is rubbish. They yeah. they, they know what the Premier League is, and they don't like it.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's probably a sentiment I think a lot of our listeners uh, appreciate and agree with. Uh, but for now, we do have to wrap things up. So I'd like to say a big thank you to Matt and Seb for coming on the show. Um sorry things are a little different today uh, we are dealing with some uh, personal issues or personal absentee shall we say I'm sure Manu uh, is chuckling a bit like away. Dortmund <laughs> a bit like Dortmund yeah um, I'm just going to say I'm sure Manu is chuckling away as he sits on the beach somewhere listening to the show as it's uh, as it goes out but uh, back to our regularly scheduled programming next week that's for sure uh, and until then um, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who listens and subscribes uh, and we'll be back soon so cheers and goodbye